Stand by. Quiet in the studio, please. Cue Norman B. Roll intro. Cue theme music. Three, two, one. This is Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Hello there, welcome to Life Elsewhere. I'm Norman B. Well, what a year it's been. Even the casual observer will acknowledge we've never seen or lived through anything like the last 12 months. So around here at Life Elsewhere Towers, we've been debating what should be the word of the year. Unprecedented certainly sums up the antics of the 45th president, but is there a better word that sums up 2017? A brilliantly succinct article came to our attention titled How Misogynistic Male Reporters Shaped the Coverage of the 2016 Election. It's authored by the Deputy Managing Editor of Rant, a site you really need to visit. Her name is Remy Carrero, and her piece, coincidentally, appeared just as the story of Matt Lauer's expulsion from NBC was breaking. Remy Carrero will join me shortly to talk about her article and our word of the year, misogyny. First, music from Australian singer-songwriter Stella Donnelly. In her new single, Stella tells of confronting a man who rapes her friend and takes to task the accompanying victim blaming. This is Life Elsewhere. Yeah, women rape themselves. 
You just heard from Australia, Stella Donnelly with Boys Will Be Boys, a single from her latest album titled Thrush Metal. The link will be up at lifeelsewhere.co. I'm going to sneak in some more new music right after my exclusive conversation with journalist Remy Carrero, all about misogyny. That's right after this. Listening to the best show on radio about art, media, and culture. Life elsewhere with Norman B. The headline: How misogynistic male reporters shaped the coverage of the 2016 election. It was written by Deputy Managing Editor of Rant, Remy Carrero. Remy, welcome to Life Elsewhere. Hi, thank you, Norman, for having me today. What a terrific headline, and how timely this is, Remy. And yes, it does feature our word of the year, misogyny. Can you give my listeners an overview of your piece? Right. So, you know, we've sort of seen this reckoning lately in our country. This sort of, uh, I think I describe it as a tidal wave of sexual assault allegations that's coming forward. And we've seen it in a bunch of different industries, but I was particularly interested in in all of the allegations that are coming forward with male reporters right now, because we've seen a lot. And I was going back and I was thinking about the coverage of the 2016 election and realizing that there was this sort of startling trend that these very important and loud voices in political journalism that were facing these allegations had huge sway on how Hillary Clinton was presented to our country. And there's no there's no denying that this last election was unprecedented, historically speaking, um, having the first woman nominee of a major political party against uh, a against, well, Donald Trump. And the journalism and the coverage of said election had played a hugely important part. And going into this sort of reckoning, this um, this new phase of how we deal with sexual assault and harassment, I wanted to look back and talk about what it means to have powerful men who are accused of abusing and harassing women having the power to shape our socio-political narrative and how that affects us in the voting booth and how that affects policies and frankly how that affected the turnout of the election. You sum it up very well and I want to get into the details of this. Um, you talk about certain reporters, pundits. Um, one particular I want to focus in on right now is Mark Halperin, who was on MSNBC and prior to that had worked at ABC. Mm -hmm. And just as a strange sort of coincidental thing, has been fired by MSNBC for the allegations of sexual misconduct whilst at ABC. And if you can follow the thread of this, everybody, it's a little, it's a little confusing. But it's just it happens to be unfortunately very timely because of what's been going on with the whole sexual allegation thing. But back in 2016, Halperin, in some of the interviews and some of the pieces that he did on MSNBC, 
I thought at the time, which is why I thought I could have written your your title back then, was that right. you always came across to me as being sort of disparaging for no apparent reason based on nothing other than just a really bad attitude about Hillary Clinton. Can you talk about that? Yes, definitely. You know, Halpern's a particularly interesting one. Um, one of the most notable uh, moments of his reporting that really stuck out for me, especially when I was going back and doing this analysis, is um, uh, in the days leading up to the election, there was a report written by the New York Times sort of detailing Donald Trump's history of harassment and assault allegations. And Halperin went on uh, one of one of his shows at the time to basically say that the report had suggested nothing illegal had happened, nothing illegal, nothing even politically damaging, going so far to say that Trump should celebrate this report. And when you compare that to how hard he pushed against Clinton's email scandal and how difficult he was in his coverage of her, almost unfairly so, I think it really reveals his bias. And one of the things that I think is very interesting when you look at these reporters' coverage is that we, often during the 2016 election, we considered female reporters and women journalists, their coverage of Hillary Clinton to be inherently biased. But now with hindsight being 2020, we look at these male reporters and we look at people like Halperin and we can see that there was clear gendered bias in their reporting. For There's simply no other explanation for the passes they gave Donald Trump and the and putting Hillary Clinton through the ringer in their reporting. And another one, of course, and it's just once again, the irony can't be focused on too too much. And that is (laughs) Mr. Lauer, Matt Lauer being fired. And and his that one on one that he had in the debate situation with Hillary. I think everybody remembers. And I remember sitting on the on the edge of my seat looking at that. And I think maybe shouting at the TV screen saying, what in the world are you doing, Mr. Lauer? Once again, Remy, can you just sort of give us a little overview on that, the whole Matt Lauer-Hillary thing? Absolutely. You know, that was a wild one. I, I published this article on Monday and woke up uh, to the Lauer news yesterday, having yeah. a few of my uh, journalism friends texting me going, you need to update your piece now. Um He was a wild one for me because of that particular uh, pre-debate political forum that he held with Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, during which time he spent nearly a third of his time. I believe he had about 30 minutes with each candidate, and he spent a third of his time with Hillary Clinton, badgering her about the email scandal, so much so that he then had to rush through all the important policy questions that the voters actually needed to know in the booth, going so far to interrupt her and ask her to explain how she was going to basically defeat ISIS as quickly as she could. And then when his coverage turned to Donald Trump, much easier. He didn't approach falsehoods. He didn't fact check the man. And now we have these allegations coming forward, which are absolutely disgusting. Um, the the news that he had a button in his, under his desk yes. where he could lock the door after female colleagues came in and all these awful warning signs. What irony that, that these both these men should be part of the uh, this the whole story and, and the Lauer thing just happened literally a couple of days ago. Right. We are talking to Remy Carrero. She is the deputy managing editor of Rant News. And I should I should just add this, everybody. If you haven't been to Rant News yet, 
he is certainly have got to go. Some really wonderful readable pieces on there. And I'll have a link up at the Life Elsewhere site. The title of the piece that Remy wrote is How Misogynistic Male Reporters Shapes the Coverage of the 2016 Election. I really want to keep our focus on that, but I have to say, Remy, because of the Matt Lauer thing, I really am going to have to go off on just somewhat of a tangent here and just go to get, for it. <laughs> just to get your input on this. Right. I happen to have the pleasure of last evening having dinner with four female friends and the topic of Matt Lauer came up and every single one of these ladies said, oh, my God, I can't believe it. It can't be true. I love Matt. He's so wonderful. He's so handsome. He's so gorgeous. He's so he's so charming. And they went on at length. And one of them said, how terrible was it that somebody came, made allegations about him when there was absolutely no proof? And I'm sitting there completely dumbfounded that these women, four intelligent, professional women, was saying this. I want to throw it over to you, Remy, and just ask you right. the, the female feedback on not just Matt Lauer, but on the whole, this whole strange, peculiar, because it really is the way it's all just been sort of escalating. Uh, just give me some sort of thoughts about the female feedback. Right. Well, I, I think you've brought up a really interesting slightly difficult to unpack subject but something we really need to talk about and it goes it goes beyond just political journalism if you look at the 53% of white women that voted for Donald Trump and this is a question i've had myself how i i don't understand this these intelligent women who seem to sort of be blind to this side of thing. And I, I really think it comes back to how damaging internalized misogyny can be and how how we use it to sort of protect ourselves and create these structures that protect us, be it in the guise of marriage, be it in the guise of who we watch on the news. Um, and in, in the particular case of Lauer and Charlie Rose, who is another reporter who um, has been accused of harassment and also fired, those two men basically chose the story seen by 8.5 million people, an audience that was primarily composed of women for years. Think about how, how damaging and how sort of encompassing that sort of misogyny is. To present that to these women over and over yes. in the morning shows, how do you sort of break out from that system? Um, because this misogyny and the sexism that we're talking about, it is a systematic issue. So to deconstruct it, which is sort of what we're seeing happen right now, can be very confusing for people who have bought into the system, be it for their own protection, be it because it's easier, be it because they don't have the knowledge behind it. We're also... We, we live in a, in a society where women are often pitted against each other. So you, we have this trend of when sexual assault uh, and harassment come to light, yes. there are always going to be the women who say, oh, no, I don't believe that. Because yes. that's what we've been taught to do. That's how we've been taught to protect ourselves. And that's how we've been taught to proceed forward in whatever our career paths is. Which is why when we have these discussions about... Um, 
about harassment and about sexual assault and about this culture that we've created, we have to look at it from a systematic and from a structural point of view, because that's why it's so complex. And that's why you had that conversation last night. And we're so confused, probably. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, you uh, once again, you summed it up very, very well. I want to get into uh, talking about misogyny, because I, mm -hmm. I, I think it's one of those words. It's banded about quite a lot these days. Yet I'm not so sure that we really know what it means. And I want to do that right, right after this. Thank you for listening to Life Elsewhere, hosted by Norman B. To learn more about our program, our guests, and the music we feature, go to lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. If you're just joining us, my guest is Remy Carrero. She is the deputy managing editor of Rants News. She wrote a piece that caught my attention. The title, How Misogynistic Male Reporters Shapes the Coverage of the 2016 Election. So this is a great read. If you haven't checked it out, go to the Life Elsewhere site. The link is there. Make sure you read it. Misogyny. What an interesting word. I, I've talked about it on the program before, but I, I'd like to get your take on what, what you think we mean by misogyny. You know, I, I think this is a really um, important question that you brought up because I don't think there is a sort of standardized definition of it, at, at least culturally right now. And we're, we see a lot of um, sort of buzzwords coming out right now. And language is very important. So I think it's important that we understand what we talk, we're talking about. And to me, misogyny is a dislike or a hatred or ingrained prejudice against women. And to me, the most important part about that is the ingrained part of it, um, because that goes back to what I was discussing before. This is a systematic issue, a systematic prejudice or dislike, hatred, contempt, any of those words against women, which reveals itself in extremely gendered bias when you bring it to, uh, when you give it a platform, uh, as in the case of these journalists or as in the case of a politician or a Hollywood producer. Um, when that, when that prejudice, when that contempt reaches structural levels, it can be extremely damaging and it can have far reaching effects on our on our gender relations, on our understanding of what it means to be a woman in America versus what it means to be a man in America, on our everyday human relationships, frankly. Can I share a story with you? Absolutely. And I've been doing talk radio in one form or another on radio and TV for, for, for it makes me ancient, but I mean, <laughs> for a long time, got out, got out of it for, for a while and then got back into it and now doing something which I don't have any, nobody tells me what to do with this program. So I oh, can Oh, that go, sounds great. So I can, apart from my producer who's glaring at me right now, but I can do whatever I like basically and say whatever mm. I want. So I'm going to tell you about something which I did on a, uh, a corporate uh, network a number of years ago. This was what, mm -hmm. oh gosh, uh, it, it really doesn't matter, but it was certainly at least 12 or 15 years ago. And something was, oh, I, I think it was an advertisement came up uh, that uh, I said to my program director, I said, I feel very uncomfortable having this on my program. And he said, mm -hmm. why? And I said, because 
I think it's misogynist. Oh, I know what it was. It was not an. It wasn't a commercial. It was one of those sort of promo things that you have to read and you have to do, and then you have to bring somebody into the studio and talk to them and say how wonderful it is that they have this. You know. <laughs> right. Long story short, it was for for Hooters, and I said I thought the name itself is just is outrageous. It's just it's 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 a double entendre, which is unforgivably awful it's it's just terrible and i'm i feel very uncomfortable about this because i love women but i don't like degrading women and i certainly don't like making fun of women and i'm not misogynist and that's how it went and of course i got into serious trouble about that i got into terrible trouble because uh, that was an advertiser that was people that was spending money on the radio station but that to me goes back a long ways and that's talking about something with other people thought I was just being this namby-pamby little goody two-shoes um, and what was I worried about? It was just a restaurant. It was just selling cheap burgers and fries or wings or whatever the hell they serve. But that was back then and things really haven't changed since then, Remy. And, and I just wonder, my outrage at that at that time was kind of sort of unusual, I think. So That's go, yeah. a really interesting yeah. point because that that exact thing brings into uh, equation the normalization of sexualizing of women. Yeah. When that's considered acceptable, when going to a bar called Hooters yes. is acceptable, of course we then see a misogynistic society because that is so normalized and inherent and you probably were the only one that brought that up Yes, because it was considered okay. I should add this. Across the streets, the, the number one morning show was mm -hmm. Howard Stern. Um, and Howard Stern, of course, is the is the is the big boy of of morning zoo shows and and morning zoo shows across the country. Um, they base their their livelihoods on denigrating women and doing sort of horrible, nasty. I think just right. as unpleasant things, using and again, this is this is the contradiction that I find myself in. The sort of not the contradiction, the conundrum, is that I adore women, I love women, and I think women are just oh gosh, I think they're wonderful. <laughs> But I don't think that they should be sort of mocked and made fun of and, and sort of I, there's this I, I don't even know if it's a fine line. I yeah, yes, I do. And I, I see it. I see it with a lot of men right now that um, are sort of sort of facing this sort of internal strife where they're like, I love women. I, I, I might be married to a woman. I they're, they're part of they're a part of my life. And now how do I move forward from here? How do I yeah. respect them without and how do I? continue to show my appreciation from that for them without mocking them and and i think that question which you bring up speaks to how how messed up our understanding of of women in the society is that we we have to unpack how to be appreciative of different genders and how to have gender relations without this imbalance of power which leads to the mocking and which leads to the degrading because this all comes from uh, a use of power to intimidate and this sort of unbalance and inequality between the genders and when you have uh, people on an equal playing field then you can tease then you can rib then you can do all of those fun things as we were talking about earlier that but that that uh, that imbalance is what leads to the mocking and what leads to, you know, the morning shows yes. making fun of women and creating a platform on which degradation of women 
is how they get viewers. But it goes on further than that, doesn't it? Right. We're talking to mm -hmm. Remy Carrero. She is the deputy managing editor of Rant News. The article she wrote is titled How Misogynistic Male Reporters Shaped the Coverage of the 2016 Election. And we, of course, because it's me, we're going off on tangents. But I want to, again, I want to sort of come back to the misogynistic thing. Mm -hmm. Another thing which is, for me, sticks out like a sore thumb. And again, I feel like I'm sort of a, a voice in the wilderness when I say this. My son's. I talk about my son on the program a lot. I'm a single father with a teenage son, and I've and I've over the years I've talked about raising him. And in the last couple of years, he's shown a great interest in in football, and has been selected to be on the junior varsity team. And <laughs> again, I've talked about this on the air, and and I so I go to the, all the games. But one right. of the things that just 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 is so difficult for me is to see these teenage girls doing these. The cheerleader thing, I don't even, I mean, I, I, it just, it kind of makes me, I feel very uncomfortable about it. it to me, it's, it's, it's all wrong. And, and it's, this is a mm -hmm. whole area that I may be, because I come from originally from another country, <laughs> that I don't understand. I want to talk well, about that in, in a little details. So we're going to do that right after this. We love to hear what you have to say. Write to this address, info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. How misogynistic male reporters shaped the coverage of the 2016 election. That's the title of the article by Remy Carrero. She's with us. She's the deputy managing editor of Rant News. And I, just a week before the break, I, I my little intro there, um, probably rambling intro, was... <laughs> was about cheerleaders. I, 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 I listen to me, sort of <laughs> having time, trouble getting this up. Now, is it peculiar that I should find cheerleaders to be, it, it's just, I, I, I find it uncomfortable. I find it very, it, it's just something, something about it says wrong with a big W it, to right. me. And, and I'd just like to get your, right. you've grown right. up with cheerleaders, I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, it, you know, it's a little bit of a complicated question because I don't want to um, take away from the athleticism of right, these women. And right. there, there's a there's a faction of cheerleading, which is one of the most dangerous sports for females. Uh, and when you take it to that athletic level, it's quite incredible. And I think it's important to recognize that in the discussion. That being said, there is quite a problem. And I think our country is facing it very loudly right now with the sexualization of young girls and the sexualization of young girls for entertainment purposes. And I think that's what you're seeing that makes you feel uncomfortable yes, that's exactly with, it, yeah. with, with cheerleaders because, you know, you see it if you're watching Sunday football, they've got uh, the revealing outfits and it, it's clear that their athleticism is being used for male entertainment and for for the entertainment of the masses rather than for um, it, rather than how talented they are, which is what becomes difficult. And especially when you take it to the level of high school kids and you take it to basically the level of teenagers. And we're we're seeing right now in our political sphere a conversation about how how 
messed up we are about the understanding of how wrong sexualization of young children is. And I can't believe we're having that conversation. I can't believe that's something that has to be debated. But clearly it is. And clearly it's normalized in a part of our society because of football games and because of music videos and different things like that. And I I, want to clarify that I don't think any of those things are necessarily inherently wrong like i'm not saying oh no now now your sunday football is ruined or now your music videos are ruined but but we need to talk about how we normalize certain aspects of misogynistic media in in all regards in in political journalism in what we see on tv and in our sports games I couldn't agree with you more, absolutely, which now leads us back to sort of so the, the part of your um, article, um, how the male reporters shaped the coverage of the last election. And in doing so, it's a question of what is sexual misconduct and what, mm-hmm. is, what is abuse? Is there a fine line between the two or, or are they the same thing? Well, there's there's the legal definitions, which I don't want to speak to a legal definition, which I'm uh, not 100 yeah. percent qualified to give that assessment. But I think when we're talking about uh, workplace misconduct, there are some very clear lines um, to what sexual misconduct are. And one of the biggest things for me in my personal belief is when that sexual misconduct includes an imbalance of power, a superior, a well-known male journalist who has sway on your career, immediately that creates a situation where there's an imbalance of power and sexual harassment can be used to sway someone. Someone does, maybe a younger female journalist trying to come up in the world doesn't have the power that the person hitting on her or making a pass or touching her without her consent does. And that's where it becomes really damaging. And I think that's um, one of the really important things to continue to hammer on while we have these these discussions is the imbalance of power when it comes to sexual misconduct and sexual harassment and abuse and in all their many legal definitions. Let's take a broader look at the word misogyny as a, as it applies to the to the coverage of the 2016 election. Right. And I'm just wondering what you think of this, and maybe you can give me an answer to this, mm-hmm. and, and whether the whole lock her up thing, and it because it was Hillary, it was a woman, that that in itself just was, without any, <laughs> with any ifs or buts, pure misogyny. The, <laughs> Well, it's interesting that you say that because when I was watching this coverage and when I was following this coverage, my answer was unequivocally, yes, it was. It was was clear to me as a woman who has faced comments that seem to have nothing to do with my career uh, abilities or whatnot, that that's what that was. But what I find really interesting, and I actually cite this in the article, is that we now have statistical proof that the 2016 election coverage, uh, and uh, in a broader sense, chants like lock her up, were biased. It's not just based on my opinion. It's not just based on the opinion of Hillary supporters or or women watching the coverage anymore. Um, I I cited in the article, but the Berkman Klein Center for Internet and Society at Harvard did this incredible study detailing media coverage during the election. And it was fascinating to me to see how disproportionately Clinton's scandals were covered. And that coverage of the, the scandals is what fueled those lock her up rants. 
which are so ironic now, given given what we know about the scope of certain investigations. Yeah. Um, but going back to that, um, the the same the same study then showed how Trump's coverage was covered, and it was almost equally related to his policy stances, which I find rather confusing because I'm still not quite sure what those policy stances are other than getting to fights with people on Twitter. Right. But to see that to see that inherent bias in coverage to me speaks to how important journalism is. And this is something that we um, talk about at Rant a lot because journalism and media is this platform that has power to shape our national dialogue and to shape what people say at rallies and to follow us into the voting booths. And we need to, as journalists, I think we need to take responsibility for that. Couldn't agree with you more. <laughs> Remy Carrero is our guest. We're talking about misogynist male reporters shaping the coverage of the 2016 election. Another aspect of this, Remy, is the Access Hollywood tape, which was all over the news at the time. Right. But it amazed me how it quickly disappeared and who made those decisions for that to disappear. And when the election actually happened and then the inauguration and everything since, it all but disappeared. Some of us remembered it, of course. And just in the last couple of weeks, it started, started appearing again. MSNBC, for one, seems to be having it on a loop right now. They seem to be, <laughs> um, which I think is a really good thing because... Right. I do. I wonder, and, and this is a question for you: Is are we we sort of <laughs> do we have a short-term memory or some loss about things? Do we just do we as 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 a populace do we just forget, or is it directed by misogynists? You, you know, you know, it's a question that I've asked myself um, quite a bit. It seems uh, in this age of social media that we do have a very short attention span, but. That being said, and I know we, we sort of do have this uh, need for like the next uh, buzzword headline and the next trending hashtag and whatnot, but I think it's important to remember who is controlling the agenda because the people that control the agenda have great sway over the outcome. The people that decide when we stop talking about the Access Hollywood tapes and the people that control the news cycle, now we know that some of those loud voices don't treat women so well. And that's important to be aware of uh, when we're discussing this coverage. And I, I, I really, I think you're right. I think that, I think that affects what we see on our screens and our Twitter feeds and, uh, and however we follow the news. And that it, it tells us what we should care about. You and know, if we're not doing yeah. our job as an audience member to, uh, to think critically and to, you know, do our research, then we do lose sight of things like the Access Hollywood tape when the next breaking news happens. Yes, you know, so the next question from there then is, will we, will we as, a, as, a, as a public, as viewers, will we now question everything uh, because the how the news is presented? Because Charlie Rose is gone, Matt Lauer is <laughs> gone. Um, who, we don't know who's next. Uh, um, I mean, right. there's been so many different. Like, it's, it, you almost lose count of how many people right. each day. It's, it's in, in, in so many different areas, particularly in entertainment. These people are known. So will we, can we, should we be questioning? I think we, yes, the answer is yes, we should. But mm -hmm. where, where do we go from here in that respect about questioning? Right. Well, I, I, I think you're exactly right. I, I personally think there's two different 
ways we go from here. And there's one that we can do as just a regular media consumer, as just a regular person. And I think you're kind of right. I think we as media consumers have a responsibility to judge and vet the source, um, especially in this era of, you know, I, I hate using the phrase, but fake news and um, propaganda being pushed from many different angles. We have a responsibility to think critically and to question, maybe, yeah, maybe question where we're getting our news from and what the agenda is. And I, I know that sounds like a lot of work, but that's mm. our responsibility as Democratic voters, in my opinion, is to be as informed as possible and to take that responsibility into our own hands. And secondly, and this is probably a broader thing, but I think it's important that we start increasing uh, diversity in newsrooms and start promoting more female journalists and journalists uh, and minority journalists and journalists that do not have the same point of view, because I think that's where we get into trouble when we have one specific group of people starting or creating this political discourse and this political narrative. And then, yes, we do have to question everything because there's one particular agenda being shown to us. I thought it was um so unfair during the last election about how people just without they didn't stop to think about what their words really meant um, mm -hmm. and i'm thinking about pundits on tv and i'm also right. thinking about just people i've spoke to about how they talked about hillary which they they would not have spoken about a man in the same way they talked with right. s disparaging ways about her and, and and they would always say well they would talk about the way she dressed, the way she looks, but you never <laughs> talked about really the way the rest of the candidates looked. Not not in right. the same way, not in the same critical way. And I, again, is that misogyny or is that that just societally? I'm 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 just curious well, about I, this. I honestly, I think it's both. Yeah, I I, I think it's uh, representative of an inherent misogyny in our society that we think that's so normal. We don't bat our eyes on that, like. The male reporters that cover male politicians, it's never questioned whether they have some sort of gender bias in their in their coverage. But when we have female reporters covering female politicians, then it's considered, you know, an op ed or um, some sort of subjective coverage. And and I think that that points to what you're talking about. Our, this this misogyny is so ingrained in American society that that when they talk about what a female politician is wearing, we don't even bat an eye at it because we're like, yeah, that's normal. That's that's what we see in our everyday lives. Uh, and that and that's very damaging. And the, that's why I think these conversations are so important, because we need to start pointing out how we've played into this system in in just everyday aspects. Um, I think you brought up another really important point um, of how how important language is when we're talking about these issues. Language shapes our view of the world. So when we use language in damaging ways and when we use it haphazardly and don't think about it, we create a sort of understanding of what's going on that doesn't have any care to it. And I think we saw a lot of that in the 2016 election. People throwing around language without any understanding of what it means and the effects that it has another aspect of the of the reporter thing and and i'm thinking about now remy and, and mm -hmm. that is that the particularly on the cable news shows the cable networks msnbc and cnn 
uh, and not Fox. But Fox is in a in a completely different category. From, from my, but we can get back to that. But it does seem to me since the election, or maybe through the election, but now since the election, MSNBC and CNN to a lesser extent seems to be promoting their female uh, anchors, pundits, reporters. They seem to really pushing them to the fore. There's throughout the day on MBC, MSNBC, the anchors are females. And a couple of them, one in particular, Stephanie Rule, actually seems like she's speaking her mind. Right. I'm wondering if this is um, a result of how you said how misogynistic males shape the coverage of the 2016 election. Your thoughts on that? You know, I, I definitely think we are starting to see a, a sort of swing of the pendulum in the opposite direction. And, and that seems to be how our, our country kind of moves. Yeah. We have we have this extreme, the 2016 election being a great example of this, that extreme. And now we're getting the pushback. And I really think that started after the inauguration uh, with the Women's March and with women sort of saying, all right, we're taking back what has what has been taken from us in a in a very macro sense and i i think that's really good that we're starting to see um especially on certain cable news shows women reporters being promoted i i would encourage more of it i would encourage bringing more uh women of color into positions of high power and it, it's interesting to me because seeing this pushback, it seems so drastic to us, but it's really only slightly moving towards a more equal playing ground. And when when the balance between genders and this uh, works for many different um, sort of identity demographics, but when the balance has been so heavily tilted in one direction, when we start to tilt it more towards center, it seems like this huge thing. Women are still highly underrepresented in the field of media, and we're getting better, but we're not even close to equal yet. And I think that's an interesting point. As a woman that's in journalism, have you, have you, Remy Carrero, have you had to struggle harder, do you think, to get to where you are? It's an interesting question. Um, I and there's part of me that always says I, I don't want to rest on uh, sort of the laurels of being a woman to say that my struggle's been harder. And I've been very lucky with uh, the group of reporters at Rant News that I work with who are very, um, very behind these sort of ideas that I'm talking about. That being said, it's very interesting to see the different pushback I get for what I say on the Internet Um we, we've done some comparisons and the female reporters that we have on our staff who are all brilliant pretty disproportionately get a ton of hate that doesn't have to do with the content of their articles because mm -hmm. we all get pushed back from, you know, different political viewpoints, which is absolutely fair. But female reporters, and I have uh, particular experience in this because I, I, I've written about reproductive issues and I've written about the issues that are um, pointed towards towards women. Um, we face a lot more hate, especially in this age of the internet. And we face a lot more nasty comments, <laughs> to put it lightly. Yeah. Um, so I, I've been lucky personally in, in the people that I've worked with. But I've definitely felt the, the sort of 
special existence of being a woman who has opinions and a platform. Can I pick up on something that you just said? And I, yes. It just caught me. You said that some people's political viewpoints are fair. And I'm just wondering, are they? Because their political viewpoints are sort of based around the fact that you are a woman. You are a woman journalist. Consequently, that's misogynist. <laughs> right, right. No, you bring up a good point. And I, I, I think if this were any other year and if this were any other election, I'd probably have a slightly different answer for you because there are many, um, you know, policy viewpoints, just be straight up, you know, the boring policy wonk stuff that we don't get to talk about anymore yeah, yeah. that differs from my viewpoint. And I think those are absolutely fair. But because of how highly charged these unprecedented times we live in are, it's much more difficult to separate that. You're absolutely right. It's much more difficult to separate, you know, boring policy differences, which I would love to be talking about again, yes. from, from inherent bias because I'm a female journalist and inherent bias because, you know, someone might be a person of color who's a journalist. It's so entangled in this sort of, hateful rhetoric that we've seen uh, sort of infiltrate. And I hesitate to use the word infiltrate because it's really always been there, but sort of rise to prominence in our country in the last year. Gosh, you just said something else which made me <laughs> think, yes, we got to do that. And that is talk more to you. Um, <laughs> unfortunately, this often happens when I'm having such a great conversation, we only have a certain amount of time. Right. So that leads me to say, let's get you back on and talk about, there's a lot of stuff, that, because one of the things that I, I wanted to get to, and, we, and maybe we'll just do it very, very quickly, that okay. here we are, right in the middle of this crazy situation. I, I don't think, it doesn't matter which viewpoint you come from, I don't care where you are politically, you have to admit, we're in one crazy situation right now. And it, it, the country yes. has never seen anything. The world has never seen anything like it. Mm -hmm. I'm not asking for predictions. I'm not asking for you to reach into your crystal ball and tell me. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I am curious to know, is it going to get worse, Remy? It, and it, it's, a difficult, it's a difficult question. Um, and... Depending on the moment, I might give you different answers. Yeah. I honestly think it it probably is going to get a little messier before yes. before we get better. But that being said, uh, because I don't like getting bogged down in how nasty the next little bit is going to get and how much more fighting we have to do in the in the fight for equality and justice and everything we're trying to um, sort of lift up in the face of these unprecedented times. But there was an amazing, uh, and I, I don't remember who said it, but there was this amazing quote going around right after the election that this this isn't the darkness of the tomb, this is the darkness of the womb. Wow. I, I believe we're moving forward into, into a rebirth, and that is painful and messy yes. and difficult. Yes. But there is light on the other side. Yes, I couldn't. I, I, the analogy is terrific. Having delivered my own son, I, I, <laughs> I can. Uh, <laughs> um, something you said, I think, right at the very top of our conversation, and, and I'm, I don't think I've got the actual words right, but you said something along the lines of we need education. It's based about on education, and, and, and I think that's sort right. of the gist of what you were saying, and that's what I think as well. 
again, it has been an absolute delight talking to you. I could go on and on for ages. I'm getting the wrap up signal here. So, um, <laughs> well, thank you so much for having me. Oh, on it's this. an absolute it's lovely, ab absolute pleasure. We'll get you back on. We have been talking Great. to Remy Carrero. She is the deputy managing editor at Rant News. The link will be up on our site. You must read her piece. It's called "How Misogynistic Male Reporters Shape the Coverage." of the 2016 election. Remy Carrera, thank you so very much for joining us at Life Elsewhere. Oh, thank you so much for having me, Norman. To find out more about Rants and read Remy Carrera's article, the link is up at lifeelsewhere.co. Coming up, wonderful new music right after this. This is Life Elsewhere, hosted by Norman B. We would like to know what you think of our program. Send your comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. Discovering new music has been a big part of my life for more years than I care to remember, which is why we have a second show ingeniously titled Life Elsewhere Music. The links are up at lifeelsewhere.co. Here then is a tasty gem I've just found. It's Alex Stewart, who goes by the name Aces, and this track is called Stranger. This is Life Elsewhere. They called you to drive by. I said I'd look you in the eye I saw a stranger at the door Then I felt stranger than before Black and white across your face
You just heard Aces with a cut titled Stranger. Aces is Alex Stewart, originally from Toronto, now Brooklyn-based. She says about her song Stranger, One night, completely jet-lagged, we picked up the camera and improvised at home. The premise was for me to get ready to go out with someone I used to know, but is a complete stranger to me now. All right then. Okay, I'm going to squeeze in another one. This is Bobby Kakuris with Red on Life Elsewhere. Red by Bobby Kakuris, taking us up to the end of the show. Bobby collaborates with bassist Alex McComas, and together they go by the name Elizabeth Wolf. And coincidentally, Colbert had them on his show the other night, and very good they were too. If you want to hear more new music, pop on over to our Life Elsewhere music page at lifeelsewhere.co or dash on over to our page at Mixcloud. And if you want to hear this show again, the podcast will be up at NPR One and at iTunes. It's also now up at our site, which is almost finished being renovated. You can go there to hear past editions. And quickly, before we go, you should take time to listen to this show again, not just because it's brilliant, but also to hear Remy Carrero's cat in the background. Till next time, be well, be good, and as always, it costs absolutely nothing. Be nice. You have been listening to Life Elsewhere, created and hosted by Norman B. Life Elsewhere is written and produced by Norman B. Guest booking and additional research by Stephanie Lane. Behind-the-scenes assistance by James Van, Bruce Goodman, and Allison Klein. 
We love to hear what you think about life elsewhere. Send your questions, queries, and comments to info at lifeelsewhere.co. That's C-O. Thank you.